Located on the edges of your radio static, you have stumbled upon the lost signal. Tonight, we bring you a tale of French terror. George Tadouza's Three Skeleton Key, starring Jose Aguayo and Stephen Best. pictures this place. A grey, tapering cylinder welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself. A bare black rock. 150 feet long, maybe 40 feet wide. And that's at low tide. At high tide, it's just a lighthouse. Rising 110 feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it is a turning water. Grey-green, scum-dappled, Warm as soup, and swarming with gigantic bat-like devilfish, great violet schools of Portuguese man-of-war, and sharks, the big ones, fifteen-footers. And as if this weren't enough, there was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland. A wind that smelled like death. A wind that had smelled the slow, and frightful death that came one night to this bare black rock. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door. And in you went. And up. Yes. Up and up and round and round. Past the tanks of oil and the coils of rope. Casks of wicks and racks of lanterns. Sacks of spuds and cartons and cans and up and up and up, round and round. Over the light storeroom was the food storeroom, and over the food storeroom was the bunk room where the three of us slept, and over the bunk room was the living and cooking room, and over the living and cooking room was the light. Ah, she was a beauty, big steel and bronze baby with the sun gleaming through the glass walls all about, bouncing blinding little beams off the big shiny reflectors glittering and refracting through her lenses. The whole gigantic bulk of her balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of her rotary mechanism. She was a sweetheart of a light. And at night, you lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with her revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, easing her bright white eye 360 degrees around the horizon. You lie there, watching to see that the feeders kept working and that everything ran right. And it wouldn't be bad. The other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down. You'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind. And it wouldn't be bad. Ah, about those other two. Louis and Auguste. What a pair. <laughs> Louis, he was head man. Big fellow from the Basque country. Black beard, little hard black eyes, and pair of arms that, I'll tell you, those arms were as big around as my legs. 
Yes, head man he was, and what word he let go was law. A silent fellow. And although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a conversation, the most I could ever get out of him was... Jean, I took up this profession because I don't like people. They want to talk too much. It's quiet work, light tending. Let's keep it that way. You? You're getting as bad as a ghost. I thought maybe for once they'd send me somebody who could keep his mouth shut. That was Louis. When he accused me of becoming like a ghost. <laughs> I quieted down because a ghost was the talkingest man I'd ever met. The talkingest man and the ugliest. He was hunchbacked, stood four feet high, had red hair, big blue eyes. Seemed he'd been an actor in Paris. Yes, yes, indeed. Played in over 200 different productions, dear boy, at the Grand Grenal. Oh, but it was monstrous, horrible, the way we used to scare the audiences. I was hated. Yes, yes. They used to throw things and hiss and bare their teeth at me. Finally, it got too bad I couldn't stand it any longer. I gave up the theater. My nerves, you understand. Yes, gave it up completely. I really did. Couldn't stand it any longer. It all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe, staring out at the blackness and the phosphorescent combers and the big yellow stars, when out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second. Something the light had touched, far off. I waited for her to come round again, and when she did, there it was, a three-master, big one, but a half-mile off and coming down out of the north-northwest, coming straight for us. You must understand, our light was where it was for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us and we kept the ships clear. But this one, this sailing vessel, was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and I yelled, Louis! Louis! Couldn't understand it. I waited for the light to come around again. What is it? It's a sheep headed for the reef! Coming right up! I had my glasses out now. I couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly. All sails set. And the foam was creaming away under her bow. She had beautiful lines. A Dutch ship. But why didn't she turn? Every time it passed, our light hit her with the glare of day. Sheep? Where? North-northwest. The light will touch her in a moment. Can't they see? Look at her. She just keeps coming on. Ah. The square heads. What is it? What is it? Watch north-northwest. Oh, I know. I know what it is. Eh? What? The, the Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman. We did a play about her once. Oh, what a performance! You ghastly galleon, high-ridden, curse-ridden! Shut up, will ya? She's looping. Ah, yes. Sloppy way to come about. She's derelict, that's it. Derelict? Abandoned. The crew left her for some reason or another. But instead of sinking, she's gone on. Running before every wind. She'll not run long. Not with those reefs to break her up. Ship. Now why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? 
She didn't ram us, although we all expected it. But as we waited for the crash, she loofed again, caught some odd gust and went about. We watched her the rest of those black hours, healing and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came, till the sea turned from black to a pearly gray. And on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. Abus, I can feel the light. Right, right, chief. Oh, she doesn't look so good by daylight. Think she'll ground this time? What? I say, do you think she'll ground this time? This is impossible. Absolutely impossible. What, Louis? Here, take my glasses. All right. What is it you... I had to focus. And then my breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with a dark brown carpet that looked like a gigantic fungus, undulating. And on the masts and yards and the guys, there were hundreds, no thousands, maybe even millions. I don't know. An endless, inestimable number of enormous rats. See them? Yes, I see them. Now you, now we know why she's derelict. Yes. Now we know. What are you two doing? Here, give me a look. Yes, give him the glasses. Take a look, chatterbox. Give you something to talk about. She's still heading for us. Yes. If she's going to turn, she'd better turn soon. Suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? It's low tide. Yes. Yes, it is. Where's all the conversation, August? huh? Here, want the glasses again? Want another look? No! No! She's still coming on. Go away! Go away! Turn, will you? I, I turn, I say. I pray to you, turn. Backing up! Rats. Look, on the water like a carpet! They're swimming. Sure, they're swimming, those on sheep rats. But they're swimming for the rocks! So go below, it's open! Come on! Down we went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three and four at a time. Scared? <laughs> you bet we were scared. August, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb. We don't know. R right, Chief. But hurry, hurry! Look, see them? No. Oh, yes, I do. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at them. Millions. They smell us. They're coming. Close the door. Can't. I can't. It's stuck. Here, let me. <laughs> Made it. One got in. Look, there. Get him. He was big as a tomcat. Bigger. His eyes were wild and red. His teeth long, sharp and yellow. He went for us, starved and ravenous, and we fought him. Fought that one rat all over the room. It was, believe me, I do not exaggerate. It was like fighting a panther. Got him. We'd better get aloft. As we ran up the winding staircase, we passed the tiny windows at the various levels, and at every one was a thick, raving, wriggling, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louis, and I dreaded each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Will you just look at them? Will you look at them? The air of the gallery was thick, infected with the stink of them. The light was dim, brown, 
filtered through the crawling mass that swarmed the glass all about us. We could not see the sky. We could see nothing. Nothing but them. Their red eyes, claws, wriggling hairy snouts, teeth. The rats. They screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving and we three... We stood. Very quietly. Very, very quietly. In the center of the glass room under our beautiful light. And we waited. What can we do? What can we do? Take it easy, old man. Take it easy. I, 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 I can! It won't do any good to stand here and shake. That's right. Anybody want a cigarette? Yes, yes. Uh, I'll, I'll have one. Thank you. Good boy. I keep calm about this thing. Here's the light. They don't like fire, do they? Yes, not. <laughs> Give me another one. Oh, you don't like that much. Turn the lights on. Don't rile them on. Give me more match. Give me some more matches. I'll strike them and strike them and strike them until they get scared and go away. They won't go away. Not until... Finish it, Chief. Not until what? Not until they fed. You're listening to the Lost Signal Podcast production of George Tadouz's Three Skeleton Key. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now, part two of our production. You can take just so much horror, and then you get used to it. You were interesting to watch, you know. They couldn't understand the glass. They could see us, and they could rush us. But that thin invisible barrier held them off, stopped them. From time to time we caught a glimpse of the rocks below, and there were more rats down there, swarming brown velvet in the bright tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise. If only it drowned some of them. Chips rats don't need to drown. No sir, you cannot drown one of them. They are all climbing the tower. This bunch around us is getting thicker. Yeah. Say, what's the time? Six. You've got first wash on. Right. Come along, Agus. It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit and a soft filtered red. Sunset through the rats. <laughs> oh, very pretty. I set the weights, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamp. And it caught them, lit them in their gigantic wriggling web of pale, hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. And then I started the rotary motor. The light drove them mad as she swung slowly and smoothly about. It blinded them in the fierce, stabbing bar of light, moving continually about, 
ever turning, touching, ever moving around and around. And they, twisting and stuttering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light. The bright light moving and behind on the dark side of the room, so close, so close I dared not turn my back. But you cannot help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room you could not see them, only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank red light, blinking, twinkling like the stars of hell. Louis relieved me at ten, but I didn't get much sleep that night. When I came up into the gallery early the next morning, there stood a ghost. His back to me. He was bowing to the rats, waving his arms and making a speech. My dear, dear audience, I am going to play once again that magnificent role which has made me the host of the Pearl's Theatre, evil genius of the medieval underworld. I am he who did guide the dark soul of Ishmael to enter the nether parts. Oh, don't be frightened, little children. I will not hurt you. I stood staring at him, horror-struck. But he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving no one out. A ghost! A ghost! Ah, another one! A latecomer, take a seat on the aisle, dear Patrick. A ghost! Stop it! Stop it! Move over there! Let the gentleman be seated. But he did not stop. He went on bowing and scraping to the rats, his big blue eyes rolling and winking, his wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arms, I slapped his face, and he looked at me, like a child. And then his face screwed up, and he looked as though he were about to cry. A ghost, go below, go on! Later, my dear audience, later matinee today. Sure, he was crazy, but I guess we all were. A few hours later, he came back up, and I caught Louis and me chasing the rats. Yes. <laughs> Sounds horrible. <laughs> oh, but it was fun. We would get right up against the glass and make faces at them. It drove them crazy. They would scratch away, trying to get at our eyes. Louis was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. And the rats would scramble into a solid ball, biting each other, clustering like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall 110 feet to the surf below. Ha! <laughs> Look at the sharks! <laughs> They're eating them. Yeah, the sharks are our friends. Here, here, I'll get another bunch together. <laughs> My beauty is that. I love killing each other. <laughs> a ghost joined him too. <laughs> Very ingenious, a ghost. He learned that if he spread eagled himself against the glass, they'd bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he'd leap back. Look! My portrait! <laughs> it went on all day. And then, I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired, and I was just beginning to fall off to sleep when I became conscious of a new sound. I couldn't figure it out at first. I got up, lit the lamp, went to the window. Even as I looked at it, I saw one of the panes begin to sag in. They had eaten the wood away! 
Louis! Louis, come quick! What? What is it? They found a way in! I held the glass with my hand. Now they were all going crazy and assured of the success of this maneuver. We're all nibbling away at the wood. Louis ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. We spread it against the window and hammered it in place. Even as we did, we felt the heavy body thudding against the other side as the window gave way. That ought to hold. If it doesn't, we are done for. Rats can't be tin? No. They can't. What was that? I don't know. It came from below. The storeroom window! They're in! They're swarming up the stairs! Drop the trap! Burn! Two of them got in! Let's go after them! We didn't have to go far to go after them. They came at us. I leaped to one side and grabbed a marlin spike, swung, and smashed one in midair. And then I whirled to see Louis with the other. It had ripped his hand open, and the blood was pouring all over the place. He held his hand aloft and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped in and I swung and got him. My hand! My hand! He got my hand! That's both of them, Louis Hutt. I'll get you something to tie that up. Look at it, my... Blood. Oh, yeah. Bleeding. Now, don't worry, Louis. Here, look, I'll wind the scorcher around it. It'll be okay. Blood. Blood. There, now. It's not bad. Just a flesh wound. Then I became conscious of another sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trap door. I watched the wood fastening, and even as I did, it began to give way, and a bristling, whiskery nose shot through. Louis! Louis, we've got to go up! Next level was the living quarters and the kitchen. I slammed the trap door there, too. But it, too, was wood. What are we going to do? I don't know. They'll be through this one in a moment. The gallery. The trap door and the gallery is meant. Good. Come on. And we made it. We lay across the trapdoor, exhausted, while below us, the rats took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, our water, our leather, and all about us the others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mass, hypnotized by the ever-turning light. By morning, the air in the little room was horrible. Until now, we'd been getting air from the tower below, but... Now it was sealed off. So was all of our food and water. We lay, exhausted, panting, waiting. As the hours crawled on, I was almost dozing from fatigue when I sighed. When I saw a sight that brought me through, fast. <laughs> Would you like to come in, my beauties? Would you? I hold the power of life. And yes, I can let you in. A ghost was standing by the glass. In one hand, he held a wrench. <laughs> All I have to do is, is tap just a little bit harder. He was tapping on the glass gently. Not quite hard enough to break it. I eased myself to my feet. And very slowly, I tiptoed toward him. And I found a coil of wire in the toolkit and I thrust him up. Fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room. Louis was of no help. He lay on his side looking at his bloody hand. Weak and sick as a baby. So there I was. A lunatic and a coward for company. And all about, watching our little drama, was the rats. The dead drove by. The supply boat wasn't due for another 12 days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. 
We had only one way of summoning them. And that was to shoot off the stress rockets. But the rockets were four floors below. And even if they'd been right there in the gallery, I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. That night, I tended the light, but its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day, we lay thirst-tormented, starving, waiting, waiting. And the following night, I again tended the light, but the small supply of spare wicking that we kept in the gallery had become exhausted, and quite suddenly, about midnight, the light went out. Nothing I could do. The wicks were stored three levels below. Nothing I could do. Nothing. From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock. And when I did, he lit up a million red eyes about us. All about us. Watching. And waiting. Below, it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned us out, and now they too were waiting. All waiting. And then the rats, quite suddenly, were silent. And then I heard it. And then I saw the sky and the stars. The rats were gone. I went to the glass. Out there in the water, a small freighter, a banana boat, showing few lights, came softly and innocently at us. The light was out, and they didn't know. I wanted to open the windows to call out to them, to warn them somehow, but... I was afraid. What? What if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef not 200 yards from the quay. Grounded so gently that the man playing the cornet, was he a passenger or a crewman or a watch? He didn't even stop playing. They tried washing her back off and I could have told them to save their fuel. The tide was rising and would have floated her free. And I waited. And that's all. That's the story. The sun came up, and there wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had left us, gone back to the sea, on their new ship. August, insane asylum, he never recovered. Louis? They took him to Cayenne where he died of blood poisoning from his bite. Oh yes. Well, that's the whole of it. If you'll excuse me now, I must go set my traps. No, no. Mouse traps. No rats in this lighthouse, I should say not. Life in the lights isn't so bad. But sometimes... When I see a strange vessel approaching, I get a little nervous. Somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew. Returning now to the edges of your radio static, this has been The Lost Signal. Follow us on Twitter at TheLostSignal1 and Instagram 
at The Lost Signal Podcast. Also, follow and rate us on iTunes. Thank you, and good night.